Welcome back to an episode of the Boss Ladies Podcast, hosted by myself, Swalia, and the wonderful Monacy. Today, we have a very exciting guest, Judith. If you could introduce yourself, that would be fantastic. I'm so excited to hear your story. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I'm Judith Martinez, and I am a founder, an entrepreneur, a writer, advocate, um, but most importantly, I'm a first-gen um, entrepreneur, and that's something that I'm really proud of, so I'm excited to be here. Yeah, um, I feel like there's so many different things we wanted to talk about today. I know you've had just a wide variety of experiences with um, In Her Shoes, which is something that you um, have worked on a lot, and I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about that, but we could just jump in there um, and then see where that goes. Yeah. Um, my goodness, where, where can I start with that? I founded Inner Shoes. Um, I think officially we became a 501c3 in 2015, but really this was an idea that was conceptualized in my dorm room when I was a college student. Uh, so I grew up as a first-generation student. I often found myself in spaces, places, and conversations where I felt like I was the only person who looked like me, sounded like me, and came from the neighborhoods that I came from. And so a lot of that, I think, influenced what ultimately led to founding Inner Shoes. And Inner Shoes is a nonprofit organization that is essentially the modern woman's community for courage. So everything that we do really stems from this one question that we challenge women and our allies to really answer for themselves. And that question is, what would you do if you were just 1% more courageous? And what would your life in the world look like if you actually took action on that question? So our mission is to really catalyze courage in so many shapes and forms. Um, but one way that we've done that throughout the years has been programmatically and really developing this sense of mentorship across generations, across genders, and across perspectives. And so I think Inner Shoes really came from this moment in time of my own growth and learning evolution as a first generation student of frankly being really disillusioned by the world. I think I grew up really hearing you're the generation to make a difference, to make a change. And granted, I'm speaking as a millennial. Um, I think that conversation is even amplified for our Gen Z generation and even younger. Um, and so when I graduated from college, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And when I got that yes, which I felt like I was chasing my entire life, um, which was a law school acceptance, I ended up declining and instead chose to create what is now in your shoes. And so I say all of that because I think my own journey of inner shoes and in founding it was really, it was really autobiographical in a way. I think I really just ended up creating what I wish I had, which I think is a very common entrepreneurial journey for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about inner shoes. I don't know if that answers your question, but there we have it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really interesting. I know I was just looking into in her shoes earlier today and even like a while back, but I think it's such an interesting concept of training courage because I think that's something a lot of people don't talk about. Um, just like the concept of courage. Um, I think we see it like in mainstream media, but specifically how it applies to like girls and women especially people like you said that were in your place right like being a first generation student I think that there's a very special set of like you know things that you sort of deal with or sort of you know lack of representation and just lack of like feeling like you fit in I feel like a lot of that obviously stems from courage and another thing that you touched on just like the power of mentorship is something that we've talked about previously 
I think that's also a really, really interesting place to be in, especially um, in terms of just like training courage, right? And I think that also sort of stems into a question I have is like, how do we effectively train courage? I know that you said and Hershey's has looked into like programmatically doing that, doing that through different events, mentorship, things like that. But from your experience, has it been like the combination of these things or like, is it like a personal thing? Is it like a communal thing? Like, how do we effectively train mentorship and people? How do like girls, you know, just listening to this episode, go out and train courage for themselves? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. And to be completely, you know, honest and transparent, by no means do I brand myself as like this expert in courage. I think if anything, I take more pride in being a practitioner of it because I think lived experience and and practicing what we preach and, and walking the talk is the best way to actually train and amplify the very things and values we seek to uphold. And so I think when it comes to this question of, well, how, right? Like, how do we catalyze courage? How do we be 1% more courageous? I think it's a combination of all those things that you mentioned. Um, I think one thing that does become more and more prevalent, um, and I'm even going to just reference, for example, the mental health crisis that we're facing right now. There's so much of what we experience in our daily life that really stems from your experience as an individual. And so I think that's where the mentorship aspect comes in. But I think just enabling young girls and women to learn to foster a sense of conversation with themselves that helps to build up a sense of confidence, self-esteem, and ultimately courage. Um, And so I think it's that, like really fostering so many different angles, because I think, you know, it's unfair to take an approach of instilling courage for such a multi-passionate individual. Like every person is complex. And I think we have so many different stances of what we're fearful of, let alone what would be courageous for us. Um, So yeah, I think it's a combination of fostering individually within um, a person, a sense of self-discernment. And then coupled with that is surrounding this person with a community. I think just as much as fear can be, um, you know, something that can be contagious, I think courage is just as contagious too. And I think part of that equation is making sure that an individual is surrounded by an environment that supports them. Um, and then I think, you know, the, uh, the third prong to that approach is how are we surrounding this individual from an institutional perspective, right? Like, do we have jobs that are fostering cultures and workplaces that empower and mobilize these young women to continue practicing that courage too. Our educational systems upholding, you know, practices that allow students to be courageous. Do you raise your hand in class? So yeah, I think there, I mean, there's so many things that I could say to that question, but I think it takes, it takes a village, I think, to, to really instill courage into someone. And, you know, I think for us at Inner Shoes, being courageous is a moment to moment phenomenon and it's a lifetime gig. Like once you're courageous at 18, it's not like, well, congratulations, you hit your quota. Uh, You're not going to be courageous anymore. I think if anything, it's like building a muscle. And the only way to build a muscle is to feel strain and tension and, you know, push yourself to expand. 
Yeah, I love that you compare courage to like training a muscle, right? And it's that it's a lifelong thing because I think uh, even for myself, when I think of like different characteristics I want to train, I like have this conception that there's like a limit, like I'll train it this much and then I'll be done. But like many characteristics are lifelong and it just depends and like you apply them to different areas of your life, right? So you could be courageous um in like an extracurricular activity but when it comes to raising your hand in class then that'd be something we're fearful of so i really like that you guys also mentioned um the institutional perspective like uh, the environment that these young women and girls are in and how you guys can support them um through those um different environments and another thing i was also curious about was you mentioned community so i want to hear more about um what you guys thought of when you were designing a supportive community? What does that look like? Yeah, you know, I think to be completely honest, it really has like shifted over the course of these like nine years, which, you know, looking back, I would hope that that answer would have shifted. You know, we live in a very different world today than two years ago, for example. So I think community in the beginning really looked like focusing on high school students that were from a particular demographic or geography. And then over the course of years, it I think really shifted to be something beyond borders. So I think being able to invoke different programs that were both online and offline um, and having communities that centered more so on, you know, what are the needs both personally and professionally that we're finding within our community. So one example of that is we've really noticed that our community has geared towards finding themselves at inner shoes when they're facing a moment of transition in their life. And when we looked back and we thought about it, we we're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, transitions can be scary. And so no wonder you would look for, for a community of being courageous. And so I think even using that example um, in understanding and realizing that we built these chapters that would support different women from different cities and supporting them through these transitions and whether it's transitioning from high school to college, college, navigating your first career, or even women who are in the height of their careers looking to pivot or our parents empty nesting for the first time. Uh, so I think building community for us has really reflected the needs of our community. And that's ever changing because we're realizing the women we work with are ever changing too. I think that's important to note, just like in assessing the needs and values of the community it's not like a one and done situation. Um, it's something that grows and is constantly changing. And I think I've found myself in situations where I can sort of say the same, like I think communities um, I've been in or even just the community that Swally and I are trying to build with this podcast. I think our values are something that have been really important to us through a lot of the work we do. But I think there's no doubt that a lot of these values we have will shift and sort of take on new meanings for us in the coming future. And I think acknowledging that you know, your values as a person, but also your values within a community will shift. And I think that shift is important and necessary. And I think it's also so natural for us to fear change, like the way you said, whether it be in so many different contexts and for so many different people, but supporting people through that change is what I think just creates a new generation, just creates a lot of just innovation and things we have going on in the world, because without that change and without that courage to make that change, we would be stuck in the same world that we lived in like two years ago, three years ago. I think only by making the change that we have, we've been able to you know, cope with what's coming our way just as a society, but also a lot of the things that that brings personally for individuals. Definitely. 
yeah also just pivoting a little bit I know we've talked about in our shoes a bit but I know you've also worked on a lot of other different projects um, that I also want to touch on because I think you've had such a wide range of experiences just in the realm of social impact and I know a lot of that started with in her shoes but um, you definitely have some interesting stories and so one thing I wanted to talk about um, today was I know you did some work at like Claremont McKenna College in order to build sort of like a social innovation um, and leadership program to equip college students with skills for success um, and I'm really curious to hear more of like how that worked for you and just like where that came from and some of the values that you were able to like instill into that program and build that from the ground up. Yeah, I think, you know, it's so interesting um, when I look in hindsight, you know, and it's the cliche, like hindsight's twenty twenty. but truly like when I look in hindsight to my experiences, I never really planned any of them outside of inner, like inner shoes was really for me, like, wow, this, this is it. I'm passionate about social impact. And this was even during the time where social entrepreneurship or social impact were not the buzzwords that they are today, right? Like I think now every brand, every outlet, like we're all talking about social justice, social reform, social impact, social entrepreneurship. And so I think, you know, looping that back into my experience with Claremont McKenna, that really found me at a place where it began to help me see how can I merge this multi-passionate nature that I have into something that still drives the world forward in an institution. And I think that for me has always been over the years and in developing my career, the reason why it looks so unconventional is because curiosity and passion have always been my compass. And I think that's something that can be really challenging in a world that historically uh, roots for a linear path, right? Like you go to college for four years, you graduate, and then you pursue the degree that you went to school for. That was not me <laughs> whatsoever. So at Claremont, I think it worked. the way that it worked out was really looking to see how can we create and equip an environment and an ecosystem for students to have 21st century skill sets for success. Things like resilience, things like pivoting and the ability to be flexible in the face of no agreement. Like how, what does an Excel spreadsheet have to do with, you know, building and sustaining a business beyond actually knowing how to make one, right? So I think really thinking about the high level softer skills, which I think is so interesting how, you know, they're called soft skills, but I think they're some of the most important skill sets. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, that was my experience in, in working in tandem with the Institute and design, helping to design and develop what that could look like um, and supporting students who honestly are just like both of you, passionate, incredibly intelligent, brilliant, and are future leaders. And so I think that for me was really exciting of, um, you know, also being able to bring my passion of, of fostering the next generation of leadership and making sure that they were equipped to handle, again, the world's biggest problems, uh, many of which we're all inevitably a part of. So yeah, I mean, that was my experience. It was great. It was it was the first time where I got to like formally teach in a certain capacity. Um, and I got to also bring other formal training that I've had like design thinking or rapid prototyping or things like that. So yeah, it, it was an interesting and fun ride. Um, and it also helped me learn more about our stakeholders. Like what do students really need and want being able to work at a college campus? 
So it was great. Yeah, I really love the focus on soft skills or like 21st century skills, because like you're saying, it's interesting that they're called soft skills, but they're actually something I think is like difficult to train sometimes because it's like more intangible, but they're just as important, if not more important than I guess academic metrics of success, right? Like academic performance is usually what the school system is like designed to set students up for, but there are so many other skills that we need to success and to succeed in this ever evolving world. And like you were mentioning, take on like some of the world's biggest problems. And I was also curious to hear more about like your interaction with students and like what that feedback looked like and talking to them and understanding their needs and just being the one that was in the position of um, equipping them or transferring this knowledge and training to them? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, No one's ever asked me that before. Uh, I think like in in that experience, you know, I've really learned the power of listening. Like I think there's so, everyone's walking around waiting to be heard and no one's willing to listen, right? Like, and I think that is something that um, for me in my personal journey as an individual, as a woman, as a founder, as a professional, I think the art of listening and learning to really hone in on what a person is both saying, but also what does a person need from what they're saying. Um, And so I think that experience of working with students really opened my eyes to one, the gap that we have in in both an institutional perspective, but I think also to, you know, I think society at that time, like society's ability to meet our students where they are, you know, in a way that actually um, lands as authentic and like really meaningful. And so I think that for me was really humbling to, to be able to be in that position and I'm also not going to lie, it was really confronting for me. Like it, I was one of the, I was not even one of, I was the youngest person on the staff. And so I think also finding myself navigating my own internal dialogue of imposter syndrome, for example, like, well, who am I to be in this position when I'm really just a couple years older than you? Um, and I'm drastically younger than my, my peers who were teaching at the time too. So I learned a lot from the students. I think, you know, practicing empathy and, you know, I think that experience also solidified for me that learning and mentorship and education is not linear. Like you do not need to have a mentor that is, you know, two decades older than you. Like there is peer-to-peer mentorship. You can learn so much more if, in my opinion, you know, I think our youth of today should be the mentors of a lot of, you know, our elders, so to speak, in a lot of instances. Um, but yeah, it was a very humbling and I think eye-opening experience. And I think that also drove me to be that much more curious and make sure that I could be a bridge and a voice for young people and vice versa for elders who are used to a different way of operating in the world. So yeah, it was very eye-opening. That's really fascinating, I think. When you think of like things like design thinking or entrepreneurial mindsets or a lot of these skill sets you're talking about, whether they be like hard skills or soft skills, things like resilience and empathy and like, you know, mentorship and all of these things, I feel like we think of them in a very like not institutional setting. Like we think about like entrepreneurs having these skills, but we don't really think about how students need to develop these skills. I think the fact that we are shifting into 
a world where institutions themselves are, you know, becoming more adaptable and are supporting these entrepreneurial capacities of students is really powerful because I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurship stems and a lot of innovation stems is with students. Um, and especially just like in this, you know, modern day, I feel like a lot of founders and leaders are getting younger and younger. And that's for a reason. I think you have so much access to knowledge and you know, conversations and people that we can talk to on a day to day basis that it just makes sense that people are beginning to explore their curiosity more and build these skill sets at a younger age. But I think what's really fascinating is just the fact that we are, you know, building this into institutions and how there's still so many institutions and schools, um, especially high schools that don't support these capacities of students, but even beginning to build up these ideas in a college setting. Um, and hopefully one day in a high school setting is really, really powerful. Um, and I also wanted to touch on one other thing you said a bit earlier about how, you know, you feel like you have just jumped around on a lot of things because you followed your curiosity and your passions and nothing has ever been planned. It's been very much so organic. And I feel like I relate to that so much because I think the best things and the best learnings are always really organic and they're not planned out and they're not always like meant to be, if that makes sense. But um, they happen for a reason. I think it's really interesting to explore even you know, how this experience you had building up this curriculum of like design thinking and entrepreneurship for college students was something you ever thought you would do, especially at a young age, but you learned so much from it. And I think that's powerful. Yeah, definitely not. Didn't plan, didn't plan that whatsoever. Um, yeah, I think, you know, all of it, everything that you just shared, I think, you know, it's, it's, I think it also speaks to the changing times that we're in as well, which I think is much needed and long overdue. Um, but yeah, by no means was it all planned. And for me, that was very uncomfortable because I, you know, was the epitome of like, we need a plan and then we need a plan for the plan and we need plan A through D just in case kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I resonate with that deeply and I'm glad that you hear yourself <laughs> in what I was saying. So I definitely feel you on that. Yeah, I think also shifting gears a little bit because I know you've had so many experiences. I want to touch on all of them just because they're all really, really interesting to me. Um, as you've also co-authored a book about just like students being in leadership positions um, and students leading now. And I think something that was really interesting looking into that a little bit was it's very much so written by students for students um, on student leadership in the higher education space. And I'm really curious to hear how that experience was as a student writing that for students because I think that's something that I think even going back to like mentorship peer-to-peer -peer mentorship is something we don't talk about a lot it's definitely like you know you have to have a mentor that's like two decades three decades older than you and has so much more experience but I think there's so much to be gained even from you know hearing the different perspectives of people your age and working with them collaboratively and building these skills alongside them um, and so I'm really curious to hear just like building off that idea about what this experience entailed for you and what you learned in this process um, of writing this book and sort of like some of the key ideas or values in this book that you might want to like bring out and talk about a little bit here. Yeah, that book experience for me, again, never in my life thought that I would be co-authoring a book, let alone at that age or point, let alone on that topic. Um, but it was something that actually came about through you know, my experiences in, in university and just even reflecting back, I think it became such an organic and authentic thing that developed, which for me, you know, I think 
became a huge value that we wanted to put into the book of how can we make this an authentic voice of real students who are like really grappling with the college student leadership experience of trying to navigate being a student in and of itself, which is already a circus, um, trying to balance what that is. And then secondly, you're, you're put into this elected leadership capacity um, and you're navigating the bureaucracies and red tape of an institution that also is a bit of a ginormous you know, force. And sometimes you can feel like you're just kind of a number, like you're just a cog in the machine. And so I think that was something that we really wanted to address to see how can you maybe have that experience, but then still be able to be authentic and true to your voice, your platform, and the initiatives that are really um, close and passionate um, for you and your community. And so I think one thing that really sticks out for me that we really wanted to focus on um, as a collection of student leaders who co-authored this is this notion of the power of community and the power of actually mobilizing your student population um, towards a cause that resonates with students, regardless of how it's received from the institution. And I think that was something that was really scary for us to, to be able to say. And I think, you know, again, this was pre-COVID, right? Like pre-2020, where, you know, we would find more times than not, I think these days of people in protest, right? Of people really being more vocal about what it is that they want and what direction they would like things to go in. So I think that experience both in writing it and also discerning like, what do we really want to impart to people um, really focused on mobilizing community and like how, how can you also use that experience and blueprint being a student leader um, into just everyday life. Because I think another thing for us was, sure, you're in school from X amount of time to X amount of time, but so what? Like, how does this translate into the rest of your life? Like, how is this going to add value to yourself and to your community, even beyond being a student leader? So that was the experience. And I think, you know, the interview component that we had where we were able to kind of pull together different focus groups and hear from other student leaders across the nation was so eye-opening and it was a real privilege, I think, to be a part of. I think that's really interesting. You know, I think the fact that you're also able to talk to student groups across the nation is really powerful. I think we were talking about this before of just education being very linear and thinking of institutions uh, very standardized and being the same. But I think, you know, even talking to Swalia who lives in like a different state than me, education systems are so powerful, but are also so diverse, even in one country or even in one region. And so I think it's really powerful to hear the perspectives of students across the nation, because I think we don't even acknowledge how much change there is in high schools, especially, um, and universities throughout just like one country. So that's powerful. Definitely. I also wanted to talk about your work at the United State of Women. And so if you want to like elaborate about that a little bit, it'd be really cool to hear. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. I feel like I'm just going down memory lane thinking about all these things that I've been part of. Yeah. You know, so United State of Women is something that I feel incredibly fortunate and just like proud and privileged to be a part of. Um, it was something that I was invited to apply for. So it's actually like an application process through nomination, or at least the time that I had gone through it. 
Um, and it was really in the wake of both COVID and when George Floyd was just murdered. And so I think that whole experience for me really shook me to my core in a lot of very different ways. Um, and so that for me was a huge motivator to actually move forward and pursue with what the mission of United State of Women is. And I think for me, it's been so eye-opening because it allows me to really, one, personally reflect on what does civic engagement and social justice look like for me, but also again, continue to be this bridge builder and this almost like interpreter. Like I feel like when I look through every experience I've had professionally, it's always been a personal mission of mine of how can I be a bridge builder and how can I be an interpreter in this room, in this space to bring as many people to the center as possible. And so I think with United State of Women, it's really been so cool to just like see women again across the nation um, who are doing like badass things. And I hope that's okay to say on this podcast. Um, but just incredible things for their communities. And, and what I love the most about it too is you don't need to be a superior court justice nominee to change the world. And I think that for me deeply resonated with our mission at Inner Shoes. Like there's a reason why we emphasize if you were just 1% more courageous, like what would it look like? Because I think for me, it's so important to emphasize the daily wins, like the moment to moment, like, okay, this is what I'm going to do today to like make a difference, or this is what I'm going to do this hour to just make an impact. And so I think United States of Women has really helped me expand that conversation in a lot of different ways. And hopefully I think I'd like to think like in the process, make civic engagement kind of cool. Like, yeah, it's cool to care about your community and like, share your voice um, for what matters to you. So yeah, United States of Women and Civic Nation and just that whole community has been awesome. And I've been really proud to be a first-gen ambassador, um, being able to represent the Filipino community, especially um, through that conversation too. I'm actually really excited that you brought up civic engagement because I think that's super important, especially, you know, even from, you know, women's perspective, but also like a youth perspective, which is something I do a lot of work around. Um, and currently I'm ex- actually establishing like a youth group in the Bay for um, students working on implementing civic engagement policy and just like working to understand what civic engagement looks like in the context of their communities and document that process of implementing different policy and just working on civic engagement within you know their communities. Because I think especially in the Bay, there's so many diverse communities, diverse schools and different needs, um, even just across my county, which is really powerful. And that's something that I've learned so much from working on is just how much civic engagement changes depending on the population you're trying to serve. And I think especially in the context of women and getting you know women civically involved, I think that's a huge thing that we don't really talk about. Um, uh, and so I think that's really powerful that you brought it up. And it's actually really exciting to me because I think hearing you talk about it at like a large scale sort of like validates a lot of you know, realizations I've had over the past few months working on this. And so it's great to hear you talk about that um, and also talk about how you're able to like represent your community through a lot of this work. And I think something that's really, you know, interesting about you is that you're a very intersectional person, right? Like you're not only women and first gen, but you're also, you know, coming from a very specific culture and also really showing that culture and like being proud of it and representing that is something that's really important and something that's taken me a lot of time to like accept obviously and you know a lot of people 
a lot of women of color especially to accept that background and also accept that place but also use that to you know their advantage rather than let them like hold them let that hold them back absolutely yeah I mean you're preaching to the choir here (laughs) and I think you know everything that you you speak on everything that you just said I think is literally the human experience like Mm -hmm. I think that's the human experience. I think that's what it means to grow up in the world today, especially in America. Um, you know, and I think, I think we've all been intersectional forever, but it's just within the recent decade, right. Where we've actually been able to use the language of it. And, and we're able to use that term because of a black woman who taught on that subject. And like, I don't know, I think things like that is just so critical. And so hats off to you for, for your own like personal journey and being able to own that for yourself. So. Yeah. And the other aspect that you're talking about, just that pattern of interpreting and being a bridge between different communities. I find that really fascinating that you're able to identify that. And I was also curious uh, earlier, you said something you're proud of is being a first generation entrepreneur. And I'm curious, do you think that this like, did you have the entrepreneurial bug? Do you think that's always something that you maybe gravitated towards, but you just didn't realize it until you were put in certain situations? Yeah, you know, I think for me, um, and I don't know, I can only speak for myself, obviously. Uh, I can't make a blanket statement here, but I, I think for me in my situation, it was not quite a bug, but I think when I look back on how I grew up, entrepreneurship is like a means of survival. Like I think every first gen student or like an immigrant or a child of immigrants, there is a sense of struggle and like needing to overcome adversity that for me is the birthplace for innovation. Like I think when you are faced with really tough problems, like needing to have food on the table or needing to pay the bills or just a means of surviving, there, that is like so much opportunity for a lot of people of like, okay, how do we, how do we overcome this moment? And, you know, those moments for me growing up is I just, I remember when I was young, like ever since I was in the first grade, you know, going around with my mom and my grandmother trying to sell rice and blankets from the back of our trunk. And that for me was just another, it was just another day with mom and grandma. But really, when I look back, that was entrepreneurship at its finest, like the gritty, raw, we need to make money to put food on the table, right? And I think that for me is very much, that to me is entrepreneurship. And yes, there are the Jeff Bezos of the world and the Elon Musks who are just as much entrepreneurs. But I think the heart of entrepreneurship is survival and resilience and how that leads to innovation and inclusion. And I- No, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, no, please go ahead. I, I, I think say, that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm gonna say I love that. Uh, I, there's this quote that I always refer to that necessity is the mother of innovation. And I feel like I said a lot in my own parents, like my, both my parents are very resourceful or like they're immigrants. And I, even just little things like fixing a necklace or like putting money here and there, they're always coming up with different innovative ways to do things that I wouldn't have thought of personally. And me and Monastery actually having this conversation the other day 
about how in media, like um, entrepreneurship is seen as something that's like very glamorized, or it's like there's this title that you want to obtain, right? Like it's some level of prestige. But if you think about it, entrepreneurship is like for everybody, right? For the common person, for anyone, regardless of age, background, it's a ways of making money. And for me in my own community, I think of the immigrant community within my city and the majority of our parents um, are business owners, whether it's like a restaurant, um, a nail salon, like a car mechanic shop. And it, it is like this, uh, again, this is something that I think is like accessible for everyone. And I like that you touched about like on your own background and how even if it wasn't necessarily like the entrepreneurship that's, um, I guess, spotlighted in the media, it is still entrepreneurship. Definitely. Yeah, I wanted to add to that. I think that resonates with me so much, just like the Elon Musk of the world and the Jeff Bezos of the world. It's like, I think that's what we see in the media and like on the surface level. And so I feel like entrepreneurship is such a like elitist word in a sense of like, you can only be an entrepreneur when you have like X amount of money or when you have investors or when you're like, you know, in stealth mode or all of these things. And it's just like, there's so many different like buzzwords we associate with just the concept of innovation and entrepreneurship, but at its core, it's just a necessity and just like, in a lot of cases, a need for survival. And I think I definitely resonate. And I know Swalia does with like, you know, having being first gen, like having immigrant parents and also like developing a lot of those skills of just like resilience and, um, you know, finding your place in a world that, you know, maybe isn't as equipped for you mm-hmm. um, and just making like your own place and, you know, defining who you are um, has a lot to do with entrepreneurship. So I think in a sense, like, you know, a lot of people who have faced these struggles and have been through hardships and times of necessity are entrepreneurial entrepreneurs in a sense because you know it's not easy to do that and I think the skills that you build in that process of going through hardship and like finding you know your place and just being in times of necessity um is what entrepreneurship is all about it's not about you know how glamorous it looks or you know what it is on the outside but it's really about just like what you're doing for yourself and other people in the process Awesome. That's, that's it. I don't know. Mic drop. I don't have anything else to say (laughs) other than what you both just shared. Like, yeah, here's the future. There you have it. (laughs) And then just the topic that we and Monty were talking about, again, like Monty was mentioning, there are all these buzzwords around entrepreneurship. But when I think of entrepreneurship, I do think of like a way of living and survival too. So I was thinking about the education system and I'm like, how would training more entrepreneurial skills be life-changing for a lot of our students because doing business, getting into entrepreneurship could be like a lever or a tool for social mobility. And I feel like that's something that I find really fascinating. I would love to see that be more incorporated um, and just what skills we equip students with today. Absolutely. Well, I'll keep an eye out from what both of you might innovate. <laughs> I don't know. You guys are dangerous <laughs> in all the best ways. So it's Thank great. You. Yeah, one thing we're curious about, um, we saw that you worked with like different brands and organizations like Rare Beauty. And I was just curious, like, what was that experience like for you? Like, was it surreal? Was it something that you ever expected to do? Like, what did you learn from it? Yeah, yet again, no surprises was not something I expected to do. Um, And, you know, I think where I'm at at this point in my career and just like my own personal journey. So just again, In the theme of transparency and full disclosure, I want everyone who's listening to know I just turned 30 years old. So I don't want anyone on this call to like 
have comparison conversations or like wondering, like none of that. Where you're at is exactly perfect and you're right on time. But I say that because I would have never thought that this is where I would be, let alone what I would be doing at this point in my life. And, you know, again, the theme of our conversation is everything is like a long, a lifelong journey, right? And so I think for me working with brands and and, and the capacity that I'm working in right now is I'm working with Rare Beauty as their social impact manager to really build and scale their mental health and education fund that's really meant to target youth. And that's not something that I ever planned, but it intersects with all of my experiences. And so I think for me, you know, your dream job may literally not even exist yet. Literally. And I think <laughs> that's both terrifying and exciting at the same time. Um, but again, I think, you know, if you let your courage, your passion, and your curiosity really be your North Star, life can surprise you in so many bigger ways than you could have anticipated. Um, so some of my learnings through brands like Rare Beauty or Stuart Weitzman, for example, or even, you know, Google or Victoria's Secret, I think it's really shown me from an industry perspective, this really interesting inflection point that we're reaching with social impact and social entrepreneurship with like the power of brands and like influencers, quote unquote, right? Or like celebrities, quote unquote. And there's there's so much to say about that. And I think the underlying, you know, thread is like the role of media as well. Like how are we measuring impact and talking about impact? And how are brands and these influencers utilizing media? And how are we democratizing information now? Like there are so many different buckets that intersect through this conversation. And that's all been through my experience of working with brands. Um, so yeah, it's been really interesting to be someone who's very heavily embedded in the social impact space, working with brands in this capacity. And it gives me hope because I think we need people who've had on the ground real world experience with grassroots organizations, with college students or just students in general that can help shift the cultures of our institutions, of our private companies. Um, and so I think right now where I'm at is yes, you know, being able to, to work and continue to support the work of Inner Shoes, but also really reinventing what does it mean to be an entrepreneur today, right? Not just being an entrepreneur where you're creating your own venture, where there's so much like hype, like, oh yeah, you need to be a founder to be X, Y, Z. But how can you be an entrepreneur and bring an entrepreneurial mindset and creativity to institutional and complex issues within an organization? And I don't know, it's an interesting journey. So I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> that's, that's how it is right now at the moment. I think that's really interesting how you are very focused on social impact, but not just in one context. Like you said, you're working on social impact in the context of grassroots organizations, but also, you know, institutionally and also within companies and working with companies to sort of establish the same values and, you know, understand how can we allocate these funds and resources to better serve a larger audience and also just be, you know, better, you know, more representative and just, you know, incorporate certain values of DEI and human-centric impact into the work that all of these different, you know, organizations and institutions are, you know, engaging in. And I think 
having that perspective of social impact under so many different buckets and through so many different lenses is what being entrepreneur <laughs> entrepreneur is all about because um, there's no really one way you can go about it and make impact, right? And I think the more we understand what social impact looks like in different contexts, the more we can understand you know, what social impact looks like in the future of society, because I think society obviously is composed of all of these different things, organizations, schools, institutions, companies, and the more we can integrate all of these values and provide resources within all of them to, you know, serve the, you know, serve obviously the external community, but also to function well internally is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it all loops back to words that both of you use not so long ago in our conversation, which is intersectional, right? Like multi-passionate individuals living in an intersectional world. And so I think, you know, it's exciting to see what the future could look like. Um, but I'm very confident because we have leaders like you who are at the helm. And so I think good things to come. Thank you so yeah. much. And I guess one of my final questions on top of my head um, is like, what do you think one of your biggest failures was? And what do you think you learned from those experiences? Oof. Where to begin? I'm uh, just like, I've had a lot of failures, to be honest. I think for me, and again, to be completely honest, I don't know, or I do know, I feel as though my answer to this question would have been drastically different in my mid-20s. And so I think now being just having a fresh 30, I'm looking back and I think my biggest failure for me was abandoning myself in my dreams when I was reaching a point of of hardship on my founder's journey. Like there was a point where I remember I was going through a really tough breakup. My mental health was down the drain. Burnout wasn't like a, a, a phrase or like this buzzword. It was like a reality for me. I was probably depressed when I think back on it. And I don't consider that state as like a failure, but more of all of the things that I ignored that led to me being in that place, like neglecting myself and my mental health or choosing to just burn the midnight oil because the hustle culture is what's in or thinking that appeasing and people pleasing was the way to success versus staying authentic and true to what it is that I wanted and stood for. And I think that all summarizes for me a moment of self-abandonment that um, I don't think we talk about enough or even know how to language, right? Like I think the human experience and emotions are so complex that sometimes we don't even know how to describe what we're going through. Um, but that was something that I went through in my mid twenties. And I considered that a failure because I think it was really a time where I felt like I abandoned myself. Um, and that's what led to the burnout and my mental health declining. So yeah, I would say that that was something that is a failure that sticks out for me. And a huge lesson that I've learned since then is, you know, one, like learning to see rest as a form of self-preservation. And like, when I, like you really, I think if you're in the social impact space, and especially the social justice space, you are constantly pouring into other people, period. You're pouring into your community, you're pouring into your, your craft, others, you name it. And like empathy and compassion are like your fuel for that. And I think 
I reached a point where I was just running on empty for so long that I was just breaking down in so many ways, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so I've, I really learned to prioritize myself. I learned the value of rest. And I also learned that you can't pour from an empty cup. You really can't. And so I think by learning to honoring myself is actually the best way I can powerfully show up for other people. And when I show up for Judith, I show up for the world. And when I like add joy to my life, then I encourage people to be joyful in their own self-expression too. So that's been like a huge lesson for me. And I think that's also really been a huge factor in what I would like to think a successful and unconventional career, you know, ever, ever since then. I love that you touched on those experiences and how they contributed to your growth. And one thing I think about is what does it mean to design your ideal life, right? So I'm sure working on inner shoes was something that you were very passionate about, something that you really cared about, but is it necessarily an ideal life if you're running on an empty cup, right? So I feel like that message is really important to not abandon yourself. Another thing I think about is living an authentic life, right? Like you mentioned hustle culture. Um, is that necessarily something that brought you fulfillment, right? So I feel like um, living an authentic life and one that is like very true to yourself is something that can be difficult, but it's something that's very worthwhile and is usually what leads to the most fulfillment. And um, I guess being true to yourself is also what some is something that can allow you and enable you to make greater impact. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a great place to end. Um, and thank you so much. I know we touched on so many things and we jumped around, but I feel like there were a lot of similar themes on the topics we talked about, like you mentioned before of just, you know, obviously entrepreneurship and design and innovation, but also just the idea of, you know, staying true to yourself and, you know, finding values and things you enjoy and just making connections across different topics in the realm of social impact. Um, and so I feel like we touched on so many things today, but thank you so much for having this conversation with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate the conversation. It was really great. It was definitely a highlight. Thank you so much. That means a lot to us.